We obviously wanted to uh, take the theme of Publishers Clearinghouse. You may have seen some of their advertising of Win for Life. And uh, here's, here's some of the, their advertisements. They, they say this, will you become our next big winner? Win, winner announced on April the 30th. In fact, it's about 10 days away from now. There's this big prize. Win $7,000 a week for life. You and your family could be set up for life, right? And, and I'm sure you've probably seen some of their uh, advertisements and their publicity and, and uh, all of the hype that goes around that. But we, we want you to know that there is a world of difference between win for life and actually winning life or possessing life, all right? And the kind of life that we want to talk about this morning is, is really the greater life, the life that has eternal value. Now, there are millions of billions of people that are uh, entering into the, the contest. Uh, I know I've spoken to a couple of people who actually say it's a lot of work to enter in. You go online, you fill out this report, and you can do this every single day, and it's exhausting. It's, it's a lot of work, right? Uh, but I understand the, the psychology behind wanting to, to win, wanting to have a better life. Uh, uh, imagine, you know, uh, ha- having all your bills paid, you know, paying off all your student loans, right? P- paying off your mortgage, no more car payments, right? Uh, being able to buy whatever it is that you want for your husband or wife or children without having to ask the question, how much does it cost, right? And so w- whether it's a, a publisher's clearinghouse or whether it's the, uh, the Powerball jackpot or, uh, and the state lottery, you know, they're, they're all basically... Uh, advertising and promoting the same basic idea, and, and that is that you can win for life or, or that you got to be in it to win it, right? Isn't that like one of the phrases they use? Uh, all you need is a little bit of luck, right? And you too can become not only rich, but you can become outrageously rich. And, and, and what's one of the other things that they say? They say, hey, you never know. And that, hey, you never know is kind of like trying to produce hope in the hearts of people. But you know what? So many people are disappointed because you know what? You know what the odds are of winning Publishers Clearinghouse? It's one in 550 million. That's more than a half a billion. That's the entire population of the United States, Canada, and parts of Central America. So, so if you're in it to win it, you, you better have a lot of luck because the chances of you winning it, not so good. I, I, I kind of think of the sentiment, you know, that, that uh, my chances of winning would, would probably be like the sign that's on the Bell Parkway. Do you, do you ever notice this? When you're coming off of the Verrazano Bridge, you're leaving Staten Island, and you're coming into Brooklyn, there's a sign that says, welcome to Brooklyn. And it's one word that, that I think of, which, which summarizes our chances of winning. It's forget about it, <laughs> you know? And... Uh, I tell you what, I, I, I hear, the, I hear the, the, the psychology and I hear the, the advertisement and I say to myself, you know what? Self, I say, you were born at night, but you weren't born last night. So I ain't going to drink the Kool-Aid, right? That I'm going to put my hope in somehow winning the Publishers Clearinghouse, you know, grand prize or, 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 or some lot of. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but Publishers Clearinghouse has settled recently a, a suit where they had to come up with $18 million to about 20 different states and the uh, AGs of those states that sue them on behalf of consumers because, because consumers were spending thousands of dollars all in the hopes of, 
of increasing their chances of winning this free, you know, this free uh, raffle, right? Uh, Here's what one AG said. AG is an attorney general. He he said this. He says, Publishers Clearinghouse may be the most devilishly clever way to sell merchandise that most people would only buy if they thought it would help them with a chance to win. And you know what? It doesn't help, you know? And I want you to think about this because most of the people that engage in this are the poor or the elderly that have spent literally thousands. I mean, I've heard of one individual that that spent upwards of $5,000 in merchandise just to increase their chance to win. And I tell you what, you've got a greater chance of playing the state lottery. I mean, if you want to take a chance, it's only one in 175 million. I'm stressing only 175 million. I want you to imagine 175 million $1 bills. It would probably take about three tractor trailer loads, you know, to, to hold that many $1 bills. You could probably line them up and cross the United States back and forth at least six times, right? That would be the, the possibilities, the, ch- the odds are of picking out the $1 bill in, in that entire 175 bill. So your chances aren't that great. And I tell you what, if you knew the story behind those that have actually won, if you've heard some of their horror stories, you probably wouldn't even want to buy a ticket in the first place, you know? Uh, there's a thing called the lottery curse. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but there are stories of heartbreak after heartbreak. Now, let me just share a couple of them with you to, uh, uh, to, to go over them. This first couple, Thomas and Denise Rossi, they were married for 25 years without any marital problems, right? But one day out of the blue, she files for divorce. A couple of days before she filed for divorce, she won a $1.3 million prize. Now, she kept that information from her husband during the divorce proceedings. And when the truth came out that she had won the lottery, the judge found against her and awarded her ex-husband the entire amount because she violated the California disclosure law. Here's a tragic story. Abraham Shakespeare. It's a truly tragic one because this guy who comes from Florida dropped out of school when he was in the seventh grade. Now he's 40 years of age, right? 40 years of age, and he wins a jackpot of $30 million, right? But he's kind of the, the, the soft touch kind of a guy where, where he can't refuse to, uh, to say no to anybody. So anybody who asks him money, he's a soft touch, right? And he, he meets this lady by the name of D.D. Uh, Moore, and uh, D.D. Moore befriends him, and, and pretty soon, no one can find. He goes missing. In fact, what they finally ultimately discover is that they find his body buried in a concrete slab in D.D. Moore's boyfriend's home. Now, both D.D. Moore and her boyfriend were convicted of murder. Here's another story. You may have heard this one. Tonda Lynn Dickinson, she worked at a Waffle House and one of the customers used to come in and he would give the, he would give the staff lottery tickets as, as kind of an extra tip, right? And uh, one day she discovered that she was holding the winning ticket of, 10, of a $10 million prize. Now, she wasn't going to share this with anybody, even though the staff alleges that they had an agreement, right? So she gets sued, right, by, 
by the other members of the staff, right? Which holds up her money. But then the IRS comes in and confiscates much of that money because of tax evasion. Here's another story. William Post, he suffered a series of unfortunate events. And this was recorded in the Beaver County Times. His ex-girlfriend sues him for part of the winnings and she wins. His brother hires a hitman to take him out, believing that if he's dead, he's going to inherit his brother's money. Now, one year later, after he had won Pennsylvania's $16.2 million lottery, right? One year later, he's $1 million in debt, and he's filed for bankruptcy, and he's now living, listen, now living on public assistance and food stamps. This last fella, by the name of Khan, smiling fella, uh, Nice-looking man, right? Looks like a happy person, right? He's holding up his winning lottery there, you know? That picture was taken, but suddenly they discovered that he, he died under mysterious circumstances. And when they finally did the autopsy, they discovered that he was poisoned. One of the members of his family, they haven't arrested yet, but, but poisoned him in the hopes that they could confiscate his money. Now, here's what I want you to know. Apparently, there are, there are uh, circumstances, there are unintended circumstances when you win the lottery or when you win big for life. And, and, and I'll tell you what, that's not really winning at all because, because there's a world of difference between win for life and winning life itself. Here's the odds. The, the odds of winning the Powerball is 175 million. The odds of winning Publishers Clearinghouse is one in 550 million. But the odds of, of winning eternal life is, is a big fat zero. There's no way that you can earn, no way that you can deserve, no way that you can work for this thing called eternal life, this thing called salvation. In fact, the very opposite is true, is that we all deserve eternal death. And eternal death is not the cessation of life. It's, it's a miserable existence apart from the life of God where there's nothing good and there's, and there's nothing lovely. And it's, and it's separation from God. And then you might be here this morning and you might say, wait a minute, wait, hold, slow down, Pastor. I don't think I deserve eternal death. And you know what? I, I agree with you. You probably don't. And, and in fact, you, you may be the best person in the room this morning. Certainly better than me, Right? And, and you, may, you may not feel like you do, but here, 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 here's the truth. The odds are that you're not perfect. And because you're not perfect, you, you don't qualify for God's standard of perfection. And therefore, your odds are still a big fat zero of having eternal life. In fact, the only one who is absolutely perfect is God himself. The gospel of, of, of Luke has a great story that I wanted to relate to, talking about being wealthy and wealthy people. There, there, there's a young man who's got it all together. He, he's got youth. He's, got, he's, he's spiritual. He was a ruler of a synagogue. Uh, he, uh, uh, he's got plenty of money. And he comes to Jesus. And he asks Jesus the question. And the emphasis is on, is on himself. And this is what he asked Jesus. He said, Jesus, what must I do to receive eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life, to, to possess eternal life, to acquire eternal life? What is it that I have to do? And that's where the emphasis is. He's looking at himself, right? 
and, and, and the response that Jesus has, first of all, Jesus is going to give him a little test. And the test is to show him what's really in his heart and where his treasure really is, right? And so Jesus said, this is what you need to do. You need to give away all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, while he verbally did not respond to Jesus, we know that his actions really speak louder than words because the Bible tells us that he turned away and walked away sorrowful because he had many possessions. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you have a little bit of insight, you realize he didn't have the possessions. The possessions really had him. They really possessed him. And as a result of that, that thing that he wanted, that that thing that he believed that Jesus held the answer to, he walked away from. And then Jesus, to his disciples, as the young man's walking away, you know, the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, and yet he still walked away. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now, now th- that is an impossibility. And so Jesus makes this statement that absolutely blows the disciples away because, because in their mind, they have equated, they have associated the favor of God with wealth, with, with blessings. I mean, you, you, you take the patriarchs like Abraham or, or David or Solomon or, or Job or so many of the others that are mentioned that God has surrounded them with favor. You know, the Bible says that the, the riches of the Lord, the blessings of God make one wealthy, rich, but with it, there's no sorrow. And so they associated somebody who had his life altogether like that as, as being absolutely blessed of God. But then when Jesus said how hard it is for those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of heaven, they're absolutely blown away. So they ask a question. And the question that they ask really is the most important question that we could ask ourselves today. And and this was their question in verse 26. It says, who then can be saved? In other words, if it's hard for them... If they've got it easy, they don't have to struggle. They don't have to worry about their next meal. They don't have to steal a loaf of bread in order to survive. If, if they've got it so hard to enter into heaven, what about us? Who then can be saved? And that's when Jesus gives this amazing answer. And it's in two parts. Number one, it is both disturbing. And number two, it is also comforting. The first thing that he says is that with, with men, he says it's impossible. With men, it's impossible. In other words, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't, you can't achieve it. You can't accomplish it. You cannot possess eternal life. Humanly speaking, it is an impossibility. Man can't do it. Now, I want you to think about that. That we're all in this state, this, this condition of being helpless and hopeless, right? And this is hanging over us. I don't know if you've uh, read this, but this came out this week in the New York Times. uh, The former mayor of New York City, uh, Michael Bloomberg, happens to be a billionaire, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Uh, 
He is on a campaign, and his campaign, you, you may have heard this, you know, with the, with the sodas and the drinks. He's, when he was mayor, he limited, you know, the size of sodas that you could buy. That was his whole idea of fighting obesity. But now, now he's po- poised to spend $50 million of his own money, which, which, by the way, for us is a lot of money, right? But for a billionaire, really, it's not all that much, maybe like about two-week salary for him, you know? But, but, but think about it. He, he's on this campaign against guns, against obesity, and against cigarettes, right? And he believes, this is what he said to the New York Times, he believes that his campaign, his good works are, are going to enrich him in the life which is to come. And this is what he says. I've got a quote. Let's look up on the screen. It says this. I'm telling you, this is what he says, if there is a God. Now, that's not a good way to start. If you don't even believe that there is a God, not a good way to start. So he says this, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to stop to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. What audacity. What nerve. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close, he says. Now, I'll tell you what. I agree with everything he just said. Now, I agree with nothing that he just said, except the last line. The last line is the only thing I agree with. It is, it is, it is not even close. He's not even close to being right. You cannot earn. You cannot work. You cannot. I don't care how much money you spend on trying to win your way into heaven. It will not happen. With men, Jesus said, it is impossible. But then Jesus doesn't leave us with this sentence of death hanging over our heads, waiting for us to die and and one day be eternally separated from God. No, no, no. The whole purpose of his coming into the world in the first place was so that we would not taste of death, that we would not experience death. And so Jesus gives the rest of that answer that is so encouraging to us to answer the question, what must we do or, or, or who then can be saved? Jesus said this, with men it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With God, God has to be in the equation. God is the only one who can bring about our salvation, and it has to come, it has to come as the gift of God, not of works, to the undeserving, because we're all undeserving. We can't achieve it. We can't, we can't work for it. I don't care how much you, you want to sacrifice of yourself. You cannot deal with this imperfection that every single one of us have been born into in a world because of the fall. But, but here's, here's, here's the great news, that even before Adam fell, even before you and I were born, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God ordained before the foundation of the world, that God's plan of salvation, of redemption, of this grace began first in the initiative and the heart of God way before the universe was ever formed. God always had this plan to work out this plan so that we would experience life and have it more abundantly. We can't buy it, we can't earn it, we can't win it, but he can and he has. Jesus Christ has accomplished for us what we could never achieve on our, on our own. Jesus Christ, by his substitutionary life, death, and resurrection, assures for us 
that we have eternal life if we will put our trust in him, if we will believe in him. You know, it's Jesus who said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the meaning of the cross. This is why this is good. This is why we celebrate today. The cross is so significant. It is the end of our sins that he is nailed to the cross himself. It, it, is, it is the satisfaction of divine justice. It is God being vindicated in his holiness. I mean, the cross accomplishes so much in a theological sense, but, but in a personal sense, in, in what I need to know more than anything else is that the cross accomplishes for me and for you the melting of our hearts and the winning of our hearts because he first loved us. Now, I, I got to tell you something about, about this. Uh, a quote that I used last week, and, and I love this quote. I wanted to share it again. It's from Max Lucado. He said, he said about Jesus, the man of sorrows, he said, he said, Jesus would rather go to hell for you than go to heaven without you. He'd rather go to hell for you than go to heaven without you. And you know what? He did that. Jesus suffered what is tantamount to, what is equivalent to eternal death on our behalf. Now, now you say, Pastor, I got a hard time wrapping my mind around that. I, I know that. Join the club. I mean, it really is incredible that, that God would do this for us so undeserving, that, that God would sacrifice his only begotten son on the behalf of those that are, that, that are not only undeserving, but ill-deserving, that, that we've disrespected God, that, we have, that we've rejected God, that we are actually enemies of God, and yet he did this for us so that, you know, you know what the overarching, the overarching truth of the gospel and, and the cross is? It's the power of God, it's the wisdom of God, it's all that. But for me, it's something that melts my heart. You know what it is? It's, it's an answer to a question I believe that we all possess. My uh, grandson, Landon, is five years old. He loves to read. When I was five years old, the only thing that I could read was the pictures. This kid's smart, right? When I was in high school, I finally learned how to read. Anyway, uh, we have books in our house. You know, we, we, we've got our basement is filled with with toys, you know, for our grandkids, you know. When, 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 we, when we spent thousands of dollars to, to fix up the basement, my, my granddaughter, uh, Emma, who was a lot younger at the time, said, said, Grandma, Papa, thank you for doing this for us, you know. And, and, and it's true, you know. Uh, I was down there uh, last night hiding about, you know, a couple of dozen eggs for an, an egg hunt later on today when we go celebrate at the house. But, 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 but Landon was, was reading a book and he left it behind and I was gonna put it away, right? And uh, I was gripped by the, the title of the book. Now, now, first of all, it's got a bunny on the, on the cover and it's not the Easter bunny, you know? Uh, the news is that, that, is, that, is that the winter's been so hard, so harsh, so cold that the Easter bunny's been found frozen to death. There's not going to be any, any bunny trails, you know, for him today. But anyway, uh, it's a question. It's a question I believe that God would ask of us this morning. And I don't know if you could see it from way back there, but for those of you up here, you could see it says, guess 
how much I love you. And if God would ask us that question this morning, could we guess, could we imagine, could we wrap our heads around this simple fact that the cross more than anything else is the message of the love of God poured out for us, that he loves us so much that he spared not his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. This is amazing that God's love goes beyond our, our human comprehension. And it's absolutely profound. The apostle John said it this way. He said, this is how we've come to understand and experience. See, God wants you to experience, not just to intellectually know, but he wants the love of God to flood your heart into your soul. And when the love of God fills your heart and your soul, it has the power to transform you. It can change your very heart. He says, he says this, he says, to experience the love of God because Christ died for us. When our eyes are open, see, this has nothing to do with how smart you are, how intelligent you are. This has everything to do with a heart issue, a heart issue that be- began first in the very heart of God. And for me, the, the cross and the empty tomb is all the proof that I need to melt this heart of mine. The cross and the empty tomb is all the proof I, I need to know that everything that he promised is true, that he really did come back from death unto life and the life that he now lives. It's a, it's a new kind of life. It's not the old kind of life. Death has no power over him. He lives by the power of an indestructible life. And that's the kind of life that he promises to those that will put their trust in him and believe. Tim Keller is a preacher from uh, Manhattan. Uh, He tells a story about his wife, Kathleen. And when she was a child growing up those years, every summer they would spend at a cottage on Lake Erie. And it was a wonderful childhood. And uh, she's gone back to that place where she spent so many good times. And, and uh, th- those cottages aren't there anymore. And in fact, even the beachfront isn't there anymore. And, and what, what she said is that, that somehow, that irretrievableness of, of that past experience kind of sucks the joy out of life. And you know, th- there are so many irretrievable moments in our lives. Th- there are disappointments in our lives. There are relationships that we've had in our lives that are, that are, that are somewhat irretrievable, you know, uh, whether it's parents, grandparents that we've, that we've lost. We've been separated by death and, and they're no longer in our life. And, and you know, for, for some who are, who are just experiencing maybe an Easter celebration today and, and, and someone that they love is not going to be sitting at the table today, that's painful. That's that's terribly disappointing. There are irretrievable moments like this in this life, disappointments. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ offers us that it's absolutely unique and different from other religions where other religions simply kind of promise you a comfort in the future. The resurrection of Jesus Christ promises way more than a restoration. 
You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ promises us a life that we have never had beyond our imagination, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither even has it entered into the hearts of men. What wonderful things God has in store for us. We don't only get back life, we get back an indestructible life, a life that knows no pain, no sorrow, no sin, where God himself is the one that wipes away the tears from our eyes. But we also get something else back. We get back those relationships for, of those who died in Christ. I, I get back my mother and my father. I get back my, my sister Marie who passed away just a couple of years ago. I get back my brother-in-law Paul and get a chance to see him who accepted Christ within the last six months of his life. What we get back is never at a loss. It's always better than what we've ever possibly could have imagined. There was a great song that was uh, made popular a couple of years ago. Uh, it was called, and it was a challenge to the, to, to the believer to imagine what life is going to be like. And here's just some of the lyrics from that song. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or at my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun, the S-O-N, a living Savior who died for us and arose and conquered death so that because he lives, we shall live also. It's gonna be, it's going to be wonderfully beyond our imagination to enter into. And, and here's, the, here's the question this morning. This is based upon the historical fact of the resurrection. In fact, the resurrection it is the most verifiable proof in history that, that this actually took place. I mean, the evidence CD uh, in, in which Doug offered this morning has various proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the most historical fact of all. And so my question to you this morning is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, why wouldn't you be? When he has this to offer to anyone who would come and believe and receive him and put their trust in him. Now your chances of winning win for life, one in 550 million. Your chances of winning a Powerball, one in 175 million. Your chances of earning salvation on your own, a big fat zero. But your chances of having eternal life today, your name written in the Lamb's book of life, if you trust in Christ, is absolutely assured. Jesus said, he that has the Son has everlasting life. The world says this, you've got to be in it to win it. But Jesus proved that you've got to be in him to win life. For he that has the son has everlasting life. That's the reason why we're celebrating today. That's the reason why today is such an amazing day of joy for those of us who are followers of Christ and those of you who would be followers of Christ. Today is an amazing, amazing day of celebration. Now I'm gonna ask if the band would come on back. I'm gonna say a little prayer. And as, and as we pray, 
you know, I'm just going to pray for you this morning. And then I'm going to ask Doug if Doug would come back and challenge us with some final thoughts this morning before we leave. So would you join with me in prayer? Father, I thank you today for the grace of God and the message of the gospel and the message of the cross, which overarching more than more than the great truths that we have spoken about this morning is the personal application of the love of God that is in Christ for me and for those of us that are here this morning. We personally put ourselves into the context of whosoever will believe upon him will not perish but have everlasting life. I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would search the house. And if there's one or two or three or four or 10 or more of you here this morning, that that issue of becoming a follower of Christ, that you will discover today that he has the power to save you unto the uttermost if you will come unto God through him. Amen. Let's all stand together one more time. You know, so often when you think about salvation and Jesus and what he came and did, and, you know, we totally understand that sometimes that's really hard to believe. It's hard to believe the things that we talked about today, we sung about today. Um, and we want to be a place that you constantly feel free to come and wrestle with doubts and questions and skepticism. And I just want to encourage you, though, as you've heard very clearly what Jesus did for us today, that um, so often we're looking for kind of like the firework in the sky it's kind of like if I see something huge, if God will just do something so big and real, then I'll believe. And uh, I just want to use the words of the great theologian Bono. Don't email me. I don't really think he's a great theologian. But Bono said that rather than seeing to believe, instead this is a place or a thing where God is a person who you need to believe in to see. And um, I think that's the reality of what so many of us here have experienced is there was a day we all sat in a church or we were talking with a friend or we were watching a preacher on TV or somebody on the radio and suddenly there was this moment and it was like I'm presented with this option now to put my trust in Jesus. I can, I can put my faith in him. And we made that choice. And I think after the fact, we saw. We saw the change he made. We saw the peace he brings. We saw the hope he gives. We saw the transformation he can bring in so many different ways. And so today I just want to encourage you, if you're going, all right, I'm struggling though. I, like, like, I don't believe like all these other people here today. I just want to encourage you that maybe today's a day to believe, to see. A day to say, all right, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus and in hopes and, and in expectation that I'll see him show up in my life in such a powerful and real way. And as I've explored all different types of religion and you know, different ways of thinking. The only place I've ever found someone on the other side of a door when I've knocked is with Jesus. It's the only place I've ever seen it. There's other areas and other places they say, live this way or think that way or, you know, you'll get where you want to go. But the truth is, is as I looked in what Jesus had to offer, that's where I saw truth and that's where I saw power. And it's the only reason I ever said, well, then this makes sense and this is life-changing. I'm going to stick with this rather than just going my own way again. So I encourage you this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your faith in him, just to pray a prayer, something like I'm going to pray in just a minute. So God, we just come to you today and ask that you would lead us now. I pray for all the Christians in the room, God, that, that even right now they would take the opportunity to pray for someone who doesn't know you. 
They pray for a loved one or a neighbor or a friend that doesn't know you right now. And just that even, just we pray in hopes that by next Easter, they'd be sitting next to us, God. That you do something so real in their life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to just encourage you, if you'd like to, to, to put your faith in him today. You can pray something like this just between you and God. Jesus, I put my faith in you today. I know I don't have all the answers. And I'm taking a step of faith here. And I'm just praying that as I knock on this door today, God, that you would be on the other side of it to answer. To show me how real you are. How powerful you are. And so I invite you into my life. I ask you to be my savior. The one who forgives me and cleanses me from all my sin. I thank you that you died for me and you rose again. 